You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. Either we win or we learn, and today we learn. It's infield to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Teller. Onside, 1 0. Blue foul shot. Oh my word. It's unbelievable. He ran around the pitch like Bambi on ice. It'd be very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans, and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson. I am the host of the show, and no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And this week, I am lucky enough to once again be joined by Lucy Heinet. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at Lucy Heinet, or you can get her thoughts each and every week, or most weeks at least on the Total Saints podcast, where she is a panelist. And this week, we had the opportunity to talk about Saints win at Bramall Lane in Sheffield, which is where Lucy lives. And so Lucy was at the match. Uh, We get her thoughts on all of that. And we answered lots of your questions. And even though it was just one match, and there are important matches coming up, Lucy and I talked at length about team selection, about shape, about uh, we had lots of questions and lots of kind of theories to try to work out. So the episode goes uh, a bit long, but that's just the way it works out when you kind of enjoy the conversation that you're having. Uh, we have some questions from you, from listeners uh, that we try to address. And um, some of them we do a pretty good job and some of them I completely blow. I also let out a few uh, dark secrets about myself and I apologize for uh, in advance for all of that. Um, I've tried to cover some of it, some of it up with the editing. Um, some of it has been unsuccessful. But anyway, so if uh, you would like to get in touch with Lucy, as I said before, she's on Twitter at Lucy Heinet. You can do that there. And um, if you like the show, uh, you may also like the newsletter, which comes out each and every Friday. Uh, we send out articles and other things, uh, updates on on the on the show and on the team and everything else that you can get. Uh, you can subscribe to all of that at SouthamptonDelivery.com. dot uh, com. There are links there for that. Uh, but now with the link of the show and everything else, let's get to my interview with Lucy. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, we look forward to Friday and, of course, uh, next week when uh, we got to go down to that other town. So uh, we'll talk to you on the other side of the show. Hope you enjoy it. We'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Lucy Heinet. You can find her on Twitter at Lucy Heinet, and you can get her thoughts each and every week on the Total Saints podcast as she's one of the panel members. But uh, Lucy, you were on the season preview um, and you're uh, one of the guests that I, I continuously ask back. So thanks again and, and welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Um, and it, I think it's going slightly better than I expected um, given the fixtures we had to start with. So I think, you know, season preview optimism is currently being warranted. Yeah, I, I, I kind of went from being super optimistic and even though we had tough fixtures to kind of feeling like we weren't quite there. And then, I don't know, uh, we, we, we had moments yesterday where we were like terrible and then we still managed somehow to, to, to look decent in the end. And, and I think Ralph, I don't know if he just made up for a mistake at the beginning with the way he set up the team or if he, you know, just is a genius. And I, I don't know which one I want to go with yet, but 
Uh, I know where I lean, but maybe uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. But um, anyway, you uh, were at the match yesterday because they basically Saints came to you for once in in your life. Yeah, unusually didn't have to get on a train or on a long car journey. Only had four miles, which I broke up with trips to the pub. Um, so yeah, no, it was a good good day. Um, kind of went better than I expected, if I'm honest. Um, despite giving a 2-1 prediction on the Total Saints podcast by yesterday morning, I was like, well, we really aren't going to get anything out of this. It's a really hard place to go. Um, and like the mood around Sheffield is very kind of buoyant and, and Sheffield United fans really kind of rate, rate their team. So I was kind of feeling a bit negative, but um, no, it went really well yesterday, despite some pretty dodgy moments, as you, as you mentioned. So um, yeah, good day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I talked to the guy who runs a, a, a Sheffield United podcast it's called the Blades Pod, and Ben, who does that show, Ben Meekin. Uh, I talked to him before the season started for the for one of the Patreon episodes, and and he was very, very high on on, on the team. And uh, in my in previous seasons, when I've talked to people who do, um, you know, who who are coming up with it with a team, usually they're like, well, if we survive, we'll be fine. And he they 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 kind of felt really, really good about everything. And I was, even when I spoke to him earlier uh, last week for his show, I, they sounded super confident and I was a little bit worried. And then you see the way the team set up, which I think is something we'll, we'll get to. And, and I was a little bit, uh, I, it, it worried me a little bit. I was, I was not, I was not as confident when I woke up yesterday morning as I was maybe a couple of, uh, of weeks ago, I guess. But, um, I mean, anything, anything new, I mean, people, people have heard from you pretty recently, but anything, anything change, uh, I know you went on some sort of holiday. Uh, I don't know where you went. I forget. I went to Prague. Yeah. My husband and I went to Prague. It was really good. Recommend it. Definitely. Um, good weather as well, um, which was kind of unexpected. Um, and then since then, we have had an offer accepted on our house. So we're kind of getting things moving with that. But other than nice. that, um, life's kind of pretty straightforward at the moment. Um, well, not a lot to report, really. Well, congratulations. I mean, those are, those, those are two big things for me, leaving the country is a big thing. And then of course the house is, that's, that's huge. That's, that's, that's adult life 101, I think. Yeah. I do feel like I'm probably a real adult now. I mean, probably at 28, I should have realized that I'm a real adult, but, but yeah, that's one of those kind of big adult steps. I'm like, whoa, that, yeah, that, yeah. that's big. You mentioned you, you broke up the, the walk to the ground to Bramall Lane with uh, trips to the pub. But I mean, what is a, what's an away day like in Sheffield for for fans who come up and I guess for you who live there so maybe you don't call it on a way day but um, you know what what does that day look like for for most fans uh well I think it's probably quite different for me than it is from for like kind of the average traveling fan because I live in the north side of the city um quite a long way from the ground um the train station which I suppose is how many people would get there is pretty close to the ground um and you kind of take quite a different route so I was kind of in a lot of pubs that are kind of nearer the kind of Sheffield Wednesday end of the city. Okay. So actually we sat there in our Saint shirts eating our lunch and having a beer and getting lots of kind of like, come on, yeah. yes, you can do it Southampton from like random Wednesday fans who, who felt the need to kind of give us a, which was good actually, because we kind of sat there being like, oh, should we be in Sheffield in our Saints kit? Should we really be doing this? But yeah, no, because we were on the kind of different side of the city, it was all pretty good. Um, so yeah, 
we spent a lot of time in an area called Kellam Island, which um, kind of the old industrial heart of the city, okay. where there and it's kind of now being taken over by a lot of like microbreweries and kind of pubs and things, and it's kind of like a really good area um, for a drink, but yeah. probably not kind of the conventional area you'd go for if you're coming from the station and going to the ground because it Absolutely. would just be way out of your way. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably make their way up the hill into town um, via a couple of pubs, the Globe and the Howard on their way up. Um, I do you know they're perfectly decent pubs, but I just didn't see the point in going into town just to come back out again kind of thing. So, um, sure. yeah, no, it's, it's a good place, Sheffield, if you didn't go this time and I'll think about it next time because I'm pretty sure they'll be in the league next season. Um, yeah, if you think about it, Sheffield is a good place to go um, for a drink and... I think it's got like a quite a nice vibe as a city. I obviously think that because I chose to stay here for like 10 years, but um, yeah, yeah it's, there. yeah, buy a house there, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, there's some really good places. And if you are so inclined to kind of go a bit more off the unbeaten track, then that there are lots of interesting places to be. Um, good, good for a weekend as well, actually, if you, uh, if you fancy that kind of thing. But I probably should have said all of that before the game, not after it. That's okay. I mean, Given that you live in kind of Sheffield Wednesday territory, mm. people people pretty happy last night. Do do they celebrate a United loss as if Sheffield Wednesday won? Yeah, not quite to that extent, but we did have a lot of happy Wednesday fans come up to us on our on the way on the tram home to be like, "Yes, great result, well done," blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, they are pretty pretty happy about it. And I think also because Sheffield Wednesday are kind of one of those teams that kind of feel like they're. A, big club i think you know they've got a lot of history mm-hmm. um and they're kind of well they're kind of like one of the oldest oldest clubs in this in the country so i feel they always a bit embittered when united are doing better than them and i think that kind of gives them extra extra joy in enjoying a sheffield united defeat i think uh, i will say early on when i started watching football i did not know that sheffield had two teams i thought they only had wednesday um and i that might They're be an win. american Thing and I and I don't think Sheffield United fans will be listening to this. And that was just, you know, I didn't know very many teams. And the teams that I knew were were it was a ridiculous kind of hodgepodge of of, of teams that were scattered around the whole country. But Wednesday was one of them. And I don't know. That's just I think. I think the name sticks thing. in your head as well, doesn't it? Because it's kind of a bit unusual. Right, right. There there are a lot of Uniteds, um, and yeah. there are not a lot of Wednesdays. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just a, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean. It, I, I'm always interested to, to kind of know that stuff and, and see. And, and you mentioned, you know, should we be in what in in Sheffield in our Saints kids? Is there generally like trouble for for visiting fans, or is that more just if it was United versus Wednesday and that would be a, a thing that you wouldn't want to mix? Yeah, yeah. To stay clear of Sheffield United Wednesday, um, I accidentally got myself caught in Derby Day public transport last last season, and it was it was pretty terrifying. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't advise that. No, but generally, I'd say it was a pretty kind of like relaxed mood. I think there were was a bit of tension um, at the end of the game yesterday, just because you kind of the nature of a kind of evenly balanced game. I think the VAR situation sure. didn't help, um, and I think quite rightly, there's a lot of kind of excitement around Derby Day coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a lot of quite like pumped up chanting about Pompey which I'm all for but I think if you're kind of an outsider kind of almost being on the end of that you're probably a bit 
a bit taken aback, especially when you think you probably should have got a result out of the game. So, yeah, yeah no, I wouldn't say there's generally any kind of problems. And I, I would say Sheffield's a pretty safe kind of thing that I feel pretty comfortable with. But, yeah, I think at the end of the game yesterday, there's probably a little bit, bit more tension than you'd expect. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, Sheffield fans, I think, from sitting in especially sitting in the ground where you don't have access to all of the replays and and all of the analysis and, and all the conversations going on from the commentators on tv when you're walking through a var decision and i mean i saw all the decisions probably four or five times and i i think i think they were all correct but i can 100 percent understand that um a sheffield united fan sitting in in the ground is going like we've we've been you know we've been had here this is not this is not right and uh, Ollie McBurney doesn't like shin guards or, uh, or VAR. Um, and, and that, and it's, it's just, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I can understand it. So, um, 100%, but, um, I mean, let's get to, to how that all kind of happened and, and then we'll just start kind of with the team sheet and I'm not sure where you were on, uh, on your pub journey, uh, and when the team sheet came out, but, um, when you saw it, what were your, what were your initial thoughts when you saw the way the team was, uh, listed I won't even say lined up because I had no idea what they were doing but uh what 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 were you thinking well I I when I originally looked at it I kind of I know Jeanette has kind of filled in at wing back before but I'd kind of just assumed that Yoshida was playing left back I, I didn't see it because I kind of wasn't on Twitter so I didn't kind of know what other people had seen I just literally saw the lineup um and yeah I kind of assumed it was kind of a back four with Yoshida filling in at left back um, so it wasn't really how I expected when they kind of set up on the pitch. Um, so it was a bit bit of a shock. And I think the first half an hour before the tactical switch kind of made it even more of a shock because it was all a bit all a bit confusing. And I think I know after the game, Ralph was very adamant that Gineppo can do a job at left wing back. But on the evidence of the first half an hour, I don't think he actually can, or if he can, he can't yet. And it's going to take a, a lot of work. Um, he was consistently caught out of, out of kind of place, um, lost track of people. And I think when you've got a left center back, like Yannick Vestergaard, who isn't the quickest in the world, actually is probably one of the slowest, um, leaving him that exposed probably isn't that advisable. It's just um, <laughs> Yeah. I, like I felt like he was kind of looking round, like where's he gone? Like where are you? You're you're meant to be back there. Um, and I don't even I don't even want to kind of criticise Gineppo for it because I just feel like he's being asked to do a job that isn't really his job. Um, and and the whole balance of the team just seemed a bit off. Yeah. So yeah, it was kind of an interesting starting lineup, which I wasn't sure what to make of, and it kind of. I kind of was even more confused when we kicked off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that in the past when Janapos came on and, and come on for for the left wing back spot, I would say he's he just played on the left side. Like he, you know, he very rarely lined up and got all the way back in line in a, in a kind of a defensive situation with them and uh, with with the rest of the back four or five. But it's you know, like you said, it's not his. That's not his role. That's not that's not what he he is. He generally does. He's an attacker, and if you look at him, everything about him says, "I'm an attacker." Uh, the way he tackles, the way he runs at people, his lack of positional kind of defensive discipline is is totally there. And um, like you said, leaving Vestergaard that exposed was not ideal. And, and uh, Vestergaard got a lot of criticism on our, on our coverage here uh, for just being, you know, not good enough. And and I don't know how much of that was down to 
to Janepo and just not being good enough there. And then, you know, Cedric got a lot of praise for coming in and kind of, you know, picking up the slack for Vestergaard. But I, I don't know how much of that is, is fair because of, because of just Janepo was, was out of position. That, that just basically is what it was. And we'll, we'll kind of uh, talk about it as we go. But I think uh, one of the things that was picked up earlier in the week is, you know, Bertrand had trained uh, before the international break, didn't, didn't play uh, against Manchester United. Um, and then had trained and was fine with took part in all the games and stuff like that over the international break uh, and was only on the bench here. And, and that's one of those things where we're going out there with without a, le- a natural left wing back or left back at all. And we have Bertrand on the bench. We have Valerie on the bench. Cedric can play at left back. We have all these options, but we choose to put Janapo on. And that's one of those things where it, it maybe is like... I start to wonder what Ralph is thinking when he's doing it, you know? Uh, and I don't know if I'm alone in that or if you're kind of there and, uh, and I'm not sure if that's, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's fair or if I just need to be, you know, more open-minded about, about how the team can be set up and should be set up going forward. I kind of tend to lean to you, towards your kind of perception. I think, I think there are clearly problems between Bertrand and Hasenhutl. I got a bit of grief yesterday on Twitter for suggesting that the injury wasn't, that much of an injury um apparently i should spend less time with unsubstantiated rumors or something like that but i i just don't think at this point you can claim that this is an injury problem or he was benched because of concerns about that fit the fitness i think the way um ralph has kind of mentioned bertrand being an option Mm -hmm. rather than you know his, his kind of left bank and and the kind of paused quite awkward way he's dealt with that situation when he's been asked about it suggests there are problems there um and i i I think if there weren't problems he he'd be an absolute shoe-in because we don't have many left-footed players in fact probably is it him and vokins are are the only left-footed players around i can't think of can't think of any others unless i'm no, someone. I'm um, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. And I, I think there is a fundamental lack of balance because even Cedric, who I thought really did have quite a good game and, and is showing kind of a lot of, lot of, lot of kind of solidity, which I don't think we necessarily identify him with. Even he isn't isn't a left-footed player and isn't going to go very wide or very kind of um, progressive with his runs because he'll always need to cut back and we saw that quite a lot in the second half um, it was kind of down my corner of the pitch Cedric having to kind of cut back which is perfectly natural but it kind of just um, it kind of affects the way you can attack I think and a lot of times those overlapping runs would have been really quite useful Yeah. so you yeah, know I think there are clearly problems there um, and I think what makes it even more concerning is that we were left under the impression um, in the summer when Target was sold, that Ralph was happy to use Vokins as an alternative or a deputy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it seems to be quite clear that he's not quite happy with where Vokins is. Um, I think a lot of fans have kind of taken quite a lot of umbrage with that because they, you know, people are keen to see our academy players, but for whatever reason, he doesn't think he's ready, which I'm kind of quite happy with. But that probably means you shouldn't you should find a way to sort out this Bertrand issue yeah. or we or we shouldn't have sold target or, you know, something along those lines. Cause it doesn't strike me as incredibly sustainable to kind of work with players playing out of position. No. Um, and I cover that. And as we saw yesterday, kind of 
whatever the case is, whether you use Cedric over there or someone else, Gineppo kind of isn't isn't the answer, I don't think. Um, particularly not when you're dealing with quite a complex tactics. Kind of, kind of Sheffield United tactics aren't kind of run-of-the-mill. Um, and I think if you've got quite a lot to deal with in terms of runners and things, then, then that kind of particularly doesn't work. Um, so... I'm really hoping there is kind of a, a, a kind of positive outcome to that standoff, which I think there is with Bertrand. Um, and if, if not, I kind of think that there needs to be more of a review. I think also, I don't know if you'd kind of thought about this, not only is Bertrand did the shoot, I don't really understand what's happened with Valerie either. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I for me, the, the Bertrand target thing is I remember over the summer we were open for offers for either of them. And you you kind of look at the two of them and their profiles and 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 target kind of had the youth on his side and uh even though he's not that young um but he you know he's got the academy kind of all all that stuff and then he didn't really have he doesn't necessarily have the pace and and some of the other things that i think that that hassan Hood would want bertrand does have those things even though he's he's a bit older i mean and some experience in the team is not going to you know be the worst thing in the world and, but then you kind of look and, and, and Hassan Hood is taking the captaincy from Bertrand, uh, and giving it to Hoiberg. That's one of the things he did kind of early on. And, um, maybe, I don't know, Bertrand doesn't really, I didn't really see Bertrand as, as caring that much about that. Like he doesn't ever really seem to, to care that much. It's just kind of how he carries himself. Um, but I don't know what's happened now. And, 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 and Valerie, I just have no idea. I thought, I thought he came on last year and did great. And one of the things I, I just wrote on the outline was, you know, we have two players that went out on loan last year that are back at the club. You know, one, I, I think Buffal was gone before uh, Hassan Hulu got here, but but um, Valerie or sorry Cedric went out on loan. You know, early on in, in, in Hassan Hulu's tenure, and he's come back and kind of been embraced. And whether it's just a change in his attitude or something that Hassan Hulu has seen from him, um, I think it's been. It, I think that shows that that Hassan Hulu has the man management to be able to sort these issues out, but. I don't know what's what's happening in terms of of Bertrand and Valerie and what and what the missing kind of piece is there and and they were I mean they, we had two fullbacks on the bench yesterday which I'm not sure is is normal you know um, include and we had two fullbacks and and a center back on the bench yesterday and which I I feel like that's more of a defensive bench that we would normally have so I'm not sure kind of exactly how things are are working out or or or, or anything else but it's it's definitely something that I'm I think we have to pay attention to and watch and and discuss and. I think in the newsletter last week, I just wrote that maybe we you know don't get carried away with the Bertrand stuff. We'll we'll see how it kind of plays out. But uh, I fully I, I said that fully expecting him to be in to be included to be in the starting lineup this week if he was fully healthy and and he wasn't. And to see the way we lined up with kind of the hodgepodge of of left sided defense, it it doesn't fill me with a bunch of confidence that that we're we're getting closer to a solution there. You know? Yeah, and I think going back to what you're saying about kind of a, felt like a quite defensive bench. I think the reason he did start Gineppo there, and I think that what was something he discussed after the game, was that he was hoping he could go off on the front foot. And I, I wondered if the defensive bench was kind of put together under the assumption that he felt we'd get kind of an early lead, um, and then he might be in a position where he could kind of pull things back a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I do think two full-backs on the bench, I mean, it kind of suggests he kind of knows he doesn't have the answers yet um, to me. I think I think that's kind of saying... I don't want to start you, but I also don't want to rule you out because I think I might need you. Mm-hmm. That was my, kind of my reading of it. Um, although that said, I was fully expecting after half an hour, 
Bertrand to come on because it was it was that bad. Um, not that he did do that. Um, and I think the decision to push Ginepa up the pitch where he could actually do his thing was was kind of part of the kind of important part of the game um, yeah. and kind of changing changing the rhythm of it. But yeah, very strange situation there. Yeah, I mean, we we spent quite a bit of time discussing the the personnel, but I think it's one of those it's one of those things especially for this game where you can see kind of what like it's not that Hassan Hudel is clueless um, and he's far far from it. He definitely understands the players that he has and he has got an idea of what he wants to do and he's trying to figure out the best way to do it. And for him to make that change, we could all see that wasn't working, but for him to, because I think the change that I would have made or, or some of a lot of people would have just been hook, hook Janapo off because he looks terrible, put Bertrand on, keep the same formation. And, and I, I don't, I'm not sure that would have worked, you know? And, and so for him to, to be able to just move players around the pitch and, and I guess for, this is where we have to praise maybe James Ward-Prowse and, and Cedric a little bit for being able just to go like, you know, Cedric's got to go play the wrong side now of, of defense and, and Ward-Prowse has to kind of alter his, you know, pull him back a little bit and, and, and alter his positioning. And, and then Janipo just gets to go kind of be free and do what he wants. Cause he just kept showing up everywhere. Like, I don't know. He was running around all over the pitch and I don't know if that's what it looked like for, for you in the, in the stands and, and maybe the TV camera doesn't do it justice. Maybe he was uh, a bit smarter, but it just looked like he was just running everywhere. Um, and, and it was great to watch because he just looked like he was free uh, and, and carefree and just enjoying his life. Whereas before he just looked like he had no idea how to play defense. Yeah. I think, I think that's pretty much it. I think um, Boo Fall and him were given pretty kind of free roles to do what they wanted kind of behind Adams, I think. Um, and and it, it worked so much better. Um, and I think it probably shows that at the moment, I think this might be fairly controversial. Um, I think Hasenhutl is a better in-game tactician than he is a pre-game tactician in, in terms of kind of setting the team up. Um, I think this isn't the first time that I think he's got it wrong from the beginning, but corrected it pretty, pretty well. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think, a lot of the times in the kind of recent past, you know, last few seasons, I think we felt quite frustrated that, that managers get into a bad situation and then they kind of just let it go a bit. And, and we kind of struggle to to kind of change the balance of a game. And I think Hasenhutl is very good at doing that. And I think it often catches the other team off balance a little bit because you're then asking them to kind of make a change. And I think... In that mad game against Bournemouth at the back end of last season, we saw a very kind of similar thing, which was how make a change, how's and who'll make a change, how make a change, how's and who'll make a change. It makes for a much more kind of interesting game. But I do think there are questions, whether those be issues with personnel or kind of injuries and kind of managing a squad. Um, I think there are questions about how we how we initially set up. But I think you can almost forgive those issues when when he's kind of become quite so astute at correcting them. And yeah, I think that change of shape, or not even change of shape, it's the same shape, but kind of a, a kind of reshuffle um, kind of was pretty important. And, and as you said, probably not the kind of change we'd have looked to make as kind of amateur managers ourselves. Um, I don't know if it's, if how much of it was needed. I don't know if, he felt he had to reshuffle because he was determined not to use Bertrand for whatever reason, um, or whether he felt that was the best way to execute it. But at the end of the day, it, it got him a result. So I, f- I feel I prob- 
probably have to kind of give Hasenhutl the credit on that one. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I don't want to come across as, as somebody who thinks he's doing a bad job because I don't. I think he's done a lot of, of really good things. And you look at some of the, I mean, you just look at some of the repaired relationships. I thought Buffal was gone. And, yeah. and, and that I mean, you can see how influential he can be in a game. Um, and, and then you have Janepo as well, who uh, like the, what he was able to do on the pitch because he went, I'm going to back up a little bit in just the first couple of minutes of the game. Um, Hoiberg laid the ball out wide where Janepo should have been. And he was not there. It just kind of went out of bounds, I think. <laughs> oh yeah, that was funny. <laughs> um, and, and we were talking about it on Twitter a little bit and people were like, well, maybe it's the, you know, it's the, the red and white stripes, which definitely threw me off. Um, seeing another team play in red, red and white stripes. I don't think I've come in. To, uh, I don't think I've encountered that very many times as, as a, as a Saints I think it, fan. It's even more confusing when we're playing in this kind of gray with yellow accent thing. Cause I don't ever think of us as a gray team either. I'm always kind of like, it'll be yellow if it's not red and white or it'll yeah. be, you know, a kind of interesting color, but like this kind of gray kit, I, I'm still taking a while to be like, Oh yeah, that's Saints. Yeah. I remember now. And, and honestly, I really like, I really like that kit. Um, but it, it's not, it's not a natural look. You know, and and I think back to um, you know, when we had what is it that that neon kind of green with the sash? I think like I remember yeah, that yeah. that that's a different kit, you know, but it that that helps. But um, anyway, it, there's just things like that. There's, it just wasn't kind of working. But the game was really open. I think anybody tuning in to watch would have been entertained with what was happening. I mean, we had shots go off the post. We had saves from both keepers. We had um. Yeah, tackles flying in and and people just kind of, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty physical match. And I think I, I was really impressed with Sheffield. United. I hadn't watched them very much leading up to to, to this, but um, I, I didn't think they looked out of place. I thought they looked like they were up for it. Uh, I don't like McGoldrick at all. Um, I, I think he he caused us a lot of problems, but um, I don't know. I, I think going back to that kind of sh- uh, Che Adams kind of shot, I was really hoping he was going to to find the net there. Uh, a couple of times and and he just for some reason is not allowed to score in the Premier League yet. I feel really sorry for him. I feel like he's doing a lot of good things. He's just not not getting the rub of the green. Um, I think he's been quite unlucky. I think he was been particularly unlucky yesterday. Um, going back to the McGoldrick thing, are you, I don't know how aware you are of his history as a player? Nope, nothing. So we signed him at 16 Um and he, he kind of like, I think he seems quite familiar to a lot of lot of Saints fans because he was probably with us for four four or five years. Um, and then since then, has had quite a kind of checkered career with like a lot of loan moves. I think he went maybe to Forest, I want to say, from us. Um, and it kind of, he had a lot of mo- loan moves from us, he had a lot of loan moves from them. And it's kind of taken him since the last kind of four, three or four years for his kind of career to settle down. Okay. Um, I think it is because of this kind of fundamental issue, which is I, I don't think he scores enough goals for the positions he gets himself in, and I, I think that was kind of pretty evident yesterday. Um, that he <sighs> probably isn't good enough for this level. There's probably a reason he spent most of his career in the Championship. Yeah. Um, and I think if I was a, a Sheffield United fan, I would be pretty frustrated with with what he didn't score if you know what i mean um yeah. no no he i mean he, I think he, he has some great opportunities yeah he we did not cover ourselves in in glory defensively uh 
there were a couple of opportunities. They had a, a header, I think, from a corner that that we should have done better defending. And they should have gotten on frame. Um, there were just a couple of times like that where we just couldn't defend. And 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 McGoldrick kind of came up in situations where he probably should have scored, um, or at least really tested gun a little bit better. And and it just didn't happen. And I'm thankful for that because we wound up with all three points and we needed those three points. And it was it was a I mean, I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised there was only one goal in the game. You know, there for, yeah, for yeah. the amount of end to end and how open it was and how many shots that we wound up kind of having at the end of this. Um, scrolling down here. I mean, 11 shots for us, 17 for them. Um, yeah, I think it could have easily been like three or four goals each. You know yeah. I mean? It was just one of those crazy games. And, and they're kind of like quite a lot of really good chances, not just kind of half chances, but like positions where i was genuinely like oh you know that was unlucky not to score or, or whatever um i thought angus gunn actually had a re- really good game um i don't know if you you felt the same yeah i think he he had a couple of big decisions whether to come for a ball or you know how to defend certain issues especially or situations especially when the defense kind of made a mistake in front of him leading up to it and i thought he did really really well in that in, in all those situations i was really impressed with him um there were a couple of kind of goal mouth i want to say scrambles because the ball was kind of like not inside the six yard box but there were shots coming in and he he was just he seemed to be there and, and ready and um and i thought his distribution was pretty good as well he set a couple guys free a couple times so i no, i thought he had a pretty good game um we won't put up any footage of him because it'll just get taken down because the premier league um somehow finds all of those and takes everything yeah i don't know how they do that yeah it's amazing um but you yeah, know i thought i i kind of think gun looks a better player from for the end of the last season when I thought he kind of had some wobbly decisions probably responsible for us that draw at Hudders, against Huddersfield um and I think there were a lot of questions about kind of like have we have we kind of prioritized the right kind of transfer because when we did buy him everyone was a bit like why, why have we got another another senior keeper uh looks a bit weird but I think we're starting to see what the kind of hype is about um kind of why Pep was allegedly quite keen to keep him. Um, and I think I do wonder how much of that is attributed to the change in goalkeeping coach, um, because he looks like, as you said, the kind of the big decisions he's he's getting right more of the time. Um, I, I always felt that he was quite a good kind of shot stopper, mm-hmm. but I think there were always questions about kind of his command of his box, whether he's kind of distributing in the right way. And I think you were right. You know, he, I think he's, didn't he set Adams free with a, with a big long ball at one point, uh-huh. which I thought thought was kind of quite, quite good. And he's using the ball a bit more intelligently. I think he's not always playing out from the back um, when, the, when they're under pressure, which to be honest, having seen hard defenders deal with the ball under pressure <laughs> probably makes quite a lot of sense. Um, there were several several occasions over the last few weeks where I've just been like, please just get rid of the ball now, get rid of it, please. Oh God, like you know, you need you. I, I don't think it comes naturally to our, our centre backs, if I'm honest. No, I, I've been critical of him a little bit of Gun for going long a couple of times because when I, I just thought that by going long and not getting it kind of all the way to the forwards, it kind of winding up right around the halfway line and just having their center backs head the ball all the way back into kind of our, our defensive third. I was, I was getting annoyed with that because I, we just couldn't get out. And I thought if we just could get it to our center backs and at least get it a little further up the field and, and maybe hold it up in there kind of offensive third for a while or defensive third for a while that we could just kind of reorganize. But 
Um, I think his decisions with the ball yesterday were 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 good. And and, and as you say, like watching us play with the ball uh, under pressure is not it, it's it's hard mouth almost all the time, um, and it's it's not it's not great. And I, I yeah, I'm not going to really criticize him for for his 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 job yesterday. But um, the the one thing that I I, I kind of wanted to point out uh, about the first half was. I mean, it was super open, but Genevo just didn't look strong enough. It seemed like he was, he ran into somebody at one point, uh, whether it was a 50, 50 or whatever it was. And he just kind of rolled on the ground. He just kind of looked like a kid almost, um, playing with adults when he was playing left back. <laughs> and then he, I don't know. It made me kind of laugh. Cause it's like, Oh, that's cute. You know, he's just rolling on the ground and having a good, like, just, but then it was also like, I'll also play defense, please. Like, uh, and then, <laughs> Once he once he moved forward, though, I mean, you can see how strong he actually is once he was uh, for the goal, because the goal was was a lot of strength, a lot of skill and a lot of composure because he I mean, I, I would say there was nobody in our team who could do that other than Buffal and and Genepo did it and and showed himself well. And, and he after he had had a couple of shots that were um, probably better opportunities, easier opportunities that he just didn't quite connect with. And, and this time he he manages to to just you know, set the defense down and send guys the wrong way and, and then cut it back nicely into the corner. And I was like, I mean, hats off to him for, for just kind of having that whirlwind of a game, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think almost he, he kind of went down easily cause he was a bit concerned about having forced to kind of do his, do his job a bit. I think, I think there was sometimes he was like, yeah, if I go down here, I might get a free kick and then we're on the front foot and I don't have to keep kind of running backwards or, or tackling. And I think a lot of, a lot of, I think he probably learned quite a lot in that first half about the, the nature of the Premier League and, and how you very rarely get kind of soft decisions. You, you kind of, it may be a softer game than it was 10 years ago, but you aren't going to get a lot if you're pushed off the ball. Um, but yeah, I did feel like a lot of his reactions to those challenges were, were kind of an indication of his own discomfort with what he was being asked to do. Whereas when he's on the front foot and he, he's kind of, he's near the goal and he knows that there's kind of value in staying up. Um, I think that kind of allows him to kind of make the most of his strengths because I think he is quite a strong winger as kind of as tricky wingers, fast tricky wingers go. I think he's got quite a lot of upper body strength. He strikes me as someone who's quite quite athletic and, and has kind of got quite a lot of ability to keep keep players off the ball. And I think that was kind of evident from his goal, um, the way he kind of held Norwood off, grappling with him, trying to bring him down, and, yeah. and the ref played advantage. Um, I think he showed, you know, he does have strength and, and he, he can use it. Um, but probably the first half, he, he probably didn't want to use it, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I thought that, that first off, I think Lee Mason deserves a little bit of credit uh, in, in for, for how he approached yesterday's game. There were a lot of times, like you said, where there were 50-50 balls or calls that could have gone and the game could have been one of those games where there was just no rhythm to it because there were a lot of, of things that were borderline offenses, you know, borderline just um, stop, stop, put the ball down and continue play. But uh, I wouldn't say a lot of yellow card challenges, but a lot of, a lot of definite advantages that were played. And I thought he got most of them right. And maybe it's easy for me to say because all the VAR decisions went our way, but I, I thought he did a, a pretty good job because if he has, he stopped, if he stopped play there, we don't score. I, I, I didn't see a scoring um, from, from a set piece there. I thought, I thought uh, United seemed to have that c- kind of covered, but um, I was pretty happy with, with, with the referee's decision. And, and 
and like you said, maybe that maybe that forces Janapo to to go, hey, like I have to do a little bit more, or I can use a little bit more of my strength, or I can be, you know, j- just change this up a little bit. And and good for him for recognizing that and kind of picking on up on that and and moving the team forward because I think that goal was was basically just him, you know, and and I, I couldn't be, I was I was super impressed with with what he looked like, especially from from just how he looked at the beginning of the match where I thought he was just uh, lost and uh, maybe Mike to the point where maybe you go train with the under 18s or under 23s for a while, because that was, it was a, an atrocious display at the beginning, but uh, like I said, not his fault. Um, I mean, I, I think we have to talk about a, a couple of things and, and there were three kind of big decisions that all went our way. Um, the offside goal for them. Uh, and I, I think it was pretty clear. I don't know what it was like in the stands for you uh, watching, but were were the the players and were the were the other fan the other Saints fans kind of calling for the offside? Did you guys think it was it was pretty clear, or how did that how did that play out for you guys? Yeah, I couldn't see a great deal because we were a the opposite end of the pitch, mm-hmm. and b I was quite low down. I was probably a couple of yards above the goal, so yeah, I, I we quite quite a low point so actually all I saw was kind of a ball a ball go in and, and and then of course the celebrations for the goal and I couldn't quite work out how they'd managed to kind of score at the back post but I think it became quite clear quite quickly that there, there was kind of reason to doubt it just because of the reaction of our players yeah. um, I'm not necessarily into players pressurizing referees or kind of shouting in their faces but you could see kind of the way we all raised you know the raising hands for the offside and the kind of general reaction to it kind of quite quickly reflected doubt about the goal. And I think, I don't know if it's just kind of retrospect and hindsight. I think there was a kind of slightly muted reaction in some parts of the ground just because of that kind of um, situation afterwards. So, yeah, I I couldn't make a judgment for myself, um, really, from where I was, but um, kind of got a quick sense of it. And also, we couldn't see a screen from where we were. I know from my Sheffield United fan friends, because unsurprisingly, I know quite a few, um, that that it was on the screen in the stadium, but I, we couldn't see it from our perspective. So again, that's kind of like what's yeah that brief moment of what's kind of going on, um, or chanting VAR or whatever. But um, yeah, so it's a, a bit of a confusing moment, and I think again with the I assume you're kind of quite close to getting there, but the Ward Prowse handball as well. Sure. There was kind of a lot of a lot of shouting for a handball and then a lot of, I think because we felt like a VAR decision had gone our way, you know, whether that would be evened up sort of thing, which yeah. I think is always going to be a worry with VAR is, is, is the kind of marginal kind of 50, 50 call. Is there a temptation for, for those reviewing it to kind of even it up? And I think that's probably something VAR doesn't take into account for. It's just, <laughs> it's kind of not always going to clear up those kind of subjective moments of kind of, I don't want to say bias because that's kind of doing a disservice to their professionalism, but in the kind of subconscious, you kind of think, Oh, you know, we gave them a decision. Do we give this a decision? Um, And so that was also another moment of kind of, of nerve, I guess. Um, But yeah, uh, not a lot of comment on VAR because we didn't actually know what's going on. Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's fair. And I think that's part of the issue. That's, that's a lot of people's biggest issue with VAR is that in, in, in match in stadium there, it's, it's really difficult to, to tell what's going on. And, um, I mean, for, for me watching on TV, 
it was really clear. I mean, as soon as the goal goes in, you just go, that can't stand. Like there has to be something there because there's no way that works. And the guy who scores is actually onside or onside the whole time. Um, but it's the guy who makes an attempt at the ball initially. Yeah, I've seen it. I saw the replay on match today last night. So I, I have seen it now. And, and um, but yeah, I think he's interfering with players. Maybe that's the oh, yeah. Crash. Yeah. And it's very clear. And I don't think you can be upset about that at all. Because if he gets anything on the ball, Gunn has to save it, you know? And so for, for him to miss it and, and kind of, or, you know, he made an attempt and he was offside. That's the rule. And so it's, it's not, I don't, I don't think there's a debate there, but I understand in the ground, you don't know that you don't see it. Um, and, and so that people are going to be upset about it. But as you mentioned, then I think Chris Wilder were actually, to be fair to him, um, was kind of quite open about the fact that that was fairly, um, ruled out. So I, I think, yeah, as you say, when you're when the manager of the opposing side also thinks it should be ruled out, there probably isn't much grounds for debate, is there? <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, but I understand the the initial anger on the part of the the fans and things like that. I think that's also understandable. I won't I won't criticize them too much um, for for that. Uh, but then you mentioned the James Ward-Prowse handball. I thought I thought that was going to go against us. Um, I don't know if you if you saw the replay on on match of the day or what your thoughts on it are after seeing that, but. Um, were you surprised that it wasn't given? And- yeah, I, I'm kind of with Wilder. I, I think that should have been given against us, um, which, you know, I'm not sure it'll be positive opinion with all of our listeners. But uh, yeah, I did think there is something quite unnatural about where Walpass's hands are and, and it does look like a kind of downward motion on the ball. Um, so yeah, I am, I'm kind of confused as to why that wasn't given. It's, I could kind of see... You know, if it was the old system with no VAR, how you'd miss it, because I think it was amongst kind of quite a jumble of players quite close together. But if, if you're using VAR, as, as was the case, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't given. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other kind of decision that I thought we were going to get punished for was the, uh, there was a tackle from Cedric right in the corner, corner of the area. And from, I think, all but one angle, it looked like he didn't get the ball. And then there was one angle, I think from behind the goal, potentially you could see that he did get the ball. And I was, I was surprised again that it didn't go uh, until I saw that last angle. But um, I mean, what was the reaction for, for most of the Sheffield United fans in, in the stadium? Were they, were they, were they starting to get more and more agitated with Lee Mason as the game was going on? Yeah. I actually had people messaging me who were there, like my Sheffield United fan friends messaging me being like, what is Lee Mason doing? Is, is Lee Mason got a Southampton shirt on? What, what is he doing? Like, he's having an awful game. I'm kind of like, Nip, what are you talking about? He's doing a great job. Yeah. yeah. But I can, <laughs> you could feel there was more and more and more tension uh, from the Sheffield United fans, you know, more kind of noises of discontent. I could quite kind of understand why. I feel like if we'd been on the end of those decisions, as much as I think the majority of them were right, I think I'd start to be quite irritated. Sure. Um, I think. There is a problem in the Premier League more widely with VAR being very reluctant to overturn decisions. Um, I think we got to a situation in major tournaments recently where VAR was probably getting involved a bit too much. And I think the Premier League have tried to respond to that. Um, So they've kind of tried to say, you know, it has to be really clear and obvious. And if it's not, we're not going to do a lot. And I think that's also kind of adding pressure to VAR in the sense that are we now going too far and not using it enough? And I think this is going to be a constant issue with VAR for at least the next season for kind of how we maintain that balance between VAR having a positive impact on the game versus it 
kind of being resented by fans and, and that was the kind of growing impression in the stadium yesterday um of course saints fans weren't feeling that and when that mcburney goal was ruled out i think we were pretty much chanting var like it was one of our players so you know <laughs> oh man yeah. uh did you see his tweet after the game uh McBurney. yeah he clearly just doesn't understand the offside rule from what i could gather yeah yeah but he tweeted uh it was, I think it was from the, it had to be from the oh, World Cup. Oh, from the African Cup of Nations, or was oh, it the no. World Cup? I don't know. It was one of those. One of those, yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, remember, yeah, you know, yeah. VAR sucks or whatever, and I was like, oh, this yeah, is great. Yeah. This is, this is great. And I want to, you know, you, uh, part of me, like the kid in me wants to reply and say something yeah, witty yeah, and yeah, hope yeah. that he like gets into it, but it's not. I was just like, just leave it alone. Like there's enough people on Twitter who are really good at riling people up. I don't need yeah, to, I don't need to, like I don't need to do that. Yeah, 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 no. <laughs> I think he, he he made a follow-up comment, didn't he? That was like basically like, but but whoever is who was it that didn't play the ball? The, the centre back in the middle. So yeah, but he didn't play the ball. It's like yeah, well he's definitely still interfering with play, even if he doesn't interfere with the ball. You should probably know the laws of the game by now. But yeah, yeah, that just made it more satisfying, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. Um, I, I was gonna ask you. I mean, if he just listens to uh one run through of of you know. Guardian Football Weekly that will that will be there because they talk about it all the time and and yeah okay we're moving on um the red card Billy Sharp I was not surprised when he came on and had an impact I thought he did pretty well uh it was in the mix and we were definitely under it for a while um and then it was just a, a a bad tackle uh there was some analysis online that said uh, I think it was, I forget what show it wasn't, but they were talking that the studs weren't showing. It was just the, the toe, uh, into kind of the, the shin of Armstrong, but it wasn't even the shin. It was like just below the knee and it was pretty high and still, you know, still like, not violent, but still, still dangerous. And in terms of, of what it could have done to Armstrong had, had things kind of gone, gone poorly in that situation. So I wasn't really surprised to see him sent off, but at that point, that late in the game, with him having just come on the field and then, and then, you know, all the other decisions kind of going up. I mean, how close were the Sheffield United fans to just wanting to find Lee Mason after the game and give him peace of their mind? Um, yeah, I, I pretty close. I'd say, um, I think as much as I do probably think it was a sending off just because of the nature of the action. I don't, I'm not sure there was a great deal of contact really. Um, so, while I think it's technically sending off, I can see how if you're a Sheffield United fan and you have, you know, a kind of talismanic figure kind of come on, um, and he was actually getting a really kind of positive reaction from Saints fans too because of kind of his contribution to our journey. Um, I could see why you'd be a bit irritated by it, particularly having had everything else gone against you, rightly or otherwise. Um, so. Yeah, I think that probably was... I think it might have been the point in the game where tensions were at their highest, but also kind of that finished them off in a way. I felt after that point, psychologically, they were kind of like... You know, when you have that that feeling that everything's going against you and whatever you did, you'd never win anyway, so what's the point? Because we're not being treated fairly. And, and I think that kind of sapped a lot of the energy out of the ground. Uh-huh. I have to say the atmosphere all day from where I was sitting was kind of one of the best that I've I've kind of experienced 
in the kind of away games that I've done the Premier League, I thought the, the the atmosphere in in the ground was really good. Um, Saints fans were doing their fair share too, but it was kind of a really fiery atmosphere, but a really kind of fun one to be in. Um, and I think that sharp sending off probably kind of dissipated it slightly once the kind of initial tension of, of the decision had kind of worn off. I think I think that probably put an end to it in a way. Yeah. Um, especially because I think he had quite a positive contribution to them when he came on. So, yeah, I think that was probably the, the final straw in a way. Yeah, yeah. I I was happy to get sent off just because it. I thought it was going to lead us to, I thought that was going to help us win. I thought if he stays on, there's there's a good chance they look like they were pressing for a goal and, and we were kind of doing the Saints thing of kind of retreating and retreating and trying to be uh, solid defensively. And it's we saw from the beginning of the game, that's just not, uh, that's not when we're best. We're best going forward, I think, and in, in, in pressing teams. And we were just, we were having trouble at that point. And it's it's normal. It's the normal kind of a flow of a, of a football match when you're ahead and uh, away and people are coming, the home team's coming. And that's that's just what's supposed to happen, I think. But um, overall, I think I think we have to be happy with, with the result uh, and no matter what it took to get us there. And it, I find it weird that we haven't, I think this is, this is three matches in a row where we've, one team has finished with a red card. Uh, you know, it was it was Brighton where we managed to win, and then the draw at home against Manchester United, and then, and then now this. And you kind of wonder how long that trend's going to continue, and if that's normal. I'm not sure. I don't do uh, all the, the in depth statistics, but um, I was just taking a quick look at the the number of fouls that that were going on because I, I mentioned earlier that it seemed like Lee Mason let a lot go. Um, still, there were, uh, I think. 17 fouls total but that's that's under the average for for us and that's under the average i think for the premier league most teams are, are somewhere a little bit higher than that per, per match so i think he did let it a little bit go and um even though uh, i don't know like, like i said i thought he did a, a decent job but um i had a i had a point i had a point and that point was um I guess coming to the end of the game, I think we have to be happy with all of that. But uh, I wanted to just give a quick shout out to Adams and and, and think or ask you kind of about it. Um, I know he played for Sheffield United at some point in his career. Uh, they were quite happy to see him come back and, and see what he was going to be about. And they were kind of glad that he had moved on, I think. Uh, and I think they all kind of like him. And that's I think that's great. Um, but I thought yesterday was probably his best performance in a Saints shirt in, in this season. And it's a small sample size, but uh, were you, were you impressed with the way he looked yesterday in playing up top kind of on his own instead of with a, with a partner? I think he actually looks more comfortable on his own. Um, I think he put in some, some excellent kind of quite unselfish runs into channels, um, kind of provided an option or kind of as an outlet. Um, and I think he, he did have a really game, um, I think he's just getting quite unlucky at the moment. That that effort that hit the post being the kind of obvious one, and and that header as well, um, which Henderson saved pretty well. I thought. Um, yeah, I just feel like he's not necessarily doing a lot wrong at the moment, um, but he's he's not. It's not quite coming. It's not quite happening for him. Um, and I think it's just going to be a case of both kind of manager and fans being quite patient with him because we we know. That, that strikers from the championship often have a bit of time adapting, and I think he's actually adapting pretty quickly. Um, I think there are questions about him playing in that kind of 4-2-2 system with Danny Ings. I'm not sure yet whether they have the required understanding to play as kind of a pair, 
Um, and as I said, I think that might be partly why Adams looked a bit better on his own uh, with kind of a, a free roll Bufal next to him or behind him. Um, and I think maybe perhaps when Redmond's fit, it'll be Redmond and Adams that are given a go. That said, Danny Ings is always really good at the pressing game, so I don't know how you keep him out. But um, yeah, I think I think things will change for Adams. It's perhaps I think because Hasenhutl was so keen on him, and, and because we tried to get him in January, I think that developed a lot of kind of quite high expectations amongst our fans, which probably hasn't helped him um, and hasn't helped the kind of general reaction to him. I, th- I think from the reaction on Twitter yesterday after the game, people realise that he's doing a lot of good stuff um, and he's getting good opportunities. And I, and I think yesterday was evidence that he's getting closer to putting those opportunities away. Um, I think there were a few op- opportunities in, in the first few games, I'm thinking particularly a, a decent-ish opportunity against Manchester United where he kind of slashed at the ball and, and looked a bit, a bit nervous. I think he's getting... You know, the the post and a really good save is kind of indication that it's, it's improving. Um, and I, I'm kind of feeling quite positive about him, despite despite the lack of goals, really. Yeah, yeah, I think I think he's on the right track, and I I'm willing to be patient, but I think that's also I, I think I've been too patient with people in the past. So I, I hope that we're <laughs> we're right in, in in how we're kind of approaching it. And I I don't know. I think I think he's. He's he's making the right improvement. If he if he hits the post and forces the keeper to make a good save the first game of the season, and then is kind of has some of these other performances now, I think that's that's the wrong that's the wrong way. But that the the team has been kind of up in the air. I haven't done a predicted lineup um, all season because I have no idea how the team's going to go <laughs> out. And I had planned to start after the international break of having some sort of idea, and I just didn't feel. I couldn't get the actually I couldn't get the press conference to load, so I couldn't. I was only reading other people's comments about what Hassan Hoodle said and reading on the website. And I wanted I want to hear things from him because you can you can get a little bit more if you can hear his voice and and that kind of stuff. And I just didn't feel like I had a, a good enough understanding. And even yesterday when I saw the team sheet, I just said like these eleven players will play um, because <laughs> I have no idea how they're gonna how they're gonna do this. And and uh, you know that, that's just the way it goes. But um, we have a couple of questions and and I. I before we get to the listener questions, I want to ask you one more thing. Like I thought Romeu had a really good game um, yesterday. I thought he was uh, again, super important to if for all the defensive solidity that we lack. I think he is the one that, that kind of holds it all together in front of them. And I can't imagine what we would look like without him there, but I don't know if that is me just liking Ori Romeu a lot, or if that is, is something that you or anybody else that you've talked to picked up on at, at all yesterday. Um, well, first of all, on this subject, um, Oriol Romeo gets a lot of really unfair criticism in my book. Um, I think people expect him to do everything, and, th- and that's not his game. He's not a box-to-box midfielder. He is really good at breaking up play, uh, and when he's on it, he's kind of, as you said, kind of pretty vital to what we do, especially with all of our defensive issues, frailties, changes in shape, players that the manager don't like, doesn't like or whatever. Um, I think he is really important. And I think he hasn't always been on form and there have been problems with the way he's using the ball in any kind of forward sense. But at the end of the day, the guy is immensely professional, um, normally pretty consistent, I'd say. Um, and I think there have been times where people have kind of almost taken that for granted. 
and in a team which has had quite a lot of turbulence in recent years, either with managers or squad, you know, changes and and purchases. He's been kind of a pretty steady presence, um, and I think he's finding his way under a different manager, and he's showing kind of what he's about. I think he was really excellent yesterday. I don't know if Pierre Hoybier has been quite up to his usual standards in recent weeks. Um, I was quite surprised to see the BBC give him the man of the match yesterday because I think there were quite a lot of opportunities he had to kind of move possession forward um, and he kind of misplaced passes or, or wasn't quite making the right decisions. And he doesn't look quite quite to his usual very high standards. And I think that's made... Romeo's performances stand out even more um, because he's having to turn over possession quite a lot. I think um, we're not always using possession in the in the best way, mm-hmm. and I think our tendency to be quite direct means that you will lose possession quite a bit, and you you will need to win it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's really very good at that. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm incredibly impressed with his recent performances, and it's kind of getting back to to the player who under Puel, who was our kind of player of the season and was kind of loved by the fans. I think we're being reminded that he hasn't stopped being that player. You know, he might have struggled with certain changes or form or whatever, but he still is a pretty important player and and a pretty good guy to have around. Um, And he kind of gets on with it as well, which hasn't always been the case for some players. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I think, I think the formation, and I think what's, what's become more and more evident is, is, teams will find weaknesses in your, in your team. And, you know, when Hoiberg's having an, a, a slight off day or when Janepo's playing at left wing back, like teams will find that and exploit that almost every match. Like that's, that's what's going to happen. And, and I think that uh, Hoiberg's been asked to do a lot in midfield in terms of going forward, just because that's not Romeu's game, but Romeu winning the ball back and breaking up play and, and just kind of, doing all the things that kind of go on almost behind the scenes like that. I think that allows us to go forward in the way that we are and play with two guys on the pitch and Buffal and Janepo who are not, you know, super defensive. Uh, Buffal has gotten a lot better in terms of tracking back and, and putting in the effort. And I think that's one of the things that Ralph asked of him. And I think he's done that very, very well, but that's still kind of a free role. And Redmond has a free role basically when he's on the pitch as well. Uh, even though, uh, uh, Hassan has asked him to to come back and help more and, and rely try more on his uh, on the defensive side of things. He still is allowed to to kind of do as he pleases uh, going forward and and often is is stranded up the pitch once we lose the ball. But that's that's okay because we have guys like Romeo who can who can do that. But um, we're going to go long unless we get to uh, some of these questions. And I hope is that okay with you if we if we head yeah, that yeah, way? Carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do this. So. Um, as always, people can send in their questions uh, via social media. Uh, they can send them in via email at southamptondelivery at gmail.com. And patrons for the show, as one of the perks, get priority for having their questions answered each and every week. Uh, Fred Lazaro, who's at Fred Lazaro 2011 on Instagram, says the defense was shaky again. What's the solution? Um, and if you have this, go down to Staplewood right now. And <laughs> Ralph is there. He will listen. Uh, and you will, uh, you can buy a house in Sheffield and anywhere else you want. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend to have answers that Ralph Hasenhul doesn't have. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I feel like the answer was possibly spending some money on a centre back. 
and possibly when you get one on loan, not getting him sent off. But you know, these are all part of the or, ongoing issues. Or with playing at centre back. <laughs> yeah, or playing at centre back, or you know that England international that you've got, you know, or ex international that you've got. Maybe play him because you have no other left back. These are just some of the ideas. But then again, this is Hampton Football Club, so we, we don't do things the obvious way. Um, if there are issues, as there are with Bertrand, and if you don't have Danso available, I, I don't know what else you do, to be honest. Um, yeah. He's tried. I think there is the argument that the defenders look a little bit better in a pair than they do in a three, but then you have all the other issues among a kind of in wide areas, um, if you don't play those three, I think we, we struggle a bit. I, I'm not sure there's an obvious answer. I think there are limitations with the quality we have, so I think that's always going to be a problem. And, and I think the very direct style we play, we are quite vulnerable to counterattacks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so short of changing the whole way we play, which probably makes us much less of a threat, I, I'm not sure there is, there is really an obvious answer. Sorry, that's not no, very helpful. No, I, th- I think that's the truth is, is where we, you can only use the pieces you have. And the one thing you have to remember about, I think, about Vestergaard is if you play a, a, the 4-2-2-2, there is no way you can play Genevo as a left back, right? He can only play as a left wing back. <laughs> um, yeah. That would be a disaster. And Vestergaard needs cover on that side in wide areas, whether it's at a back four or a back three or back five. He needs yeah. to have somebody there. And so I think having Janapo there initially to start yesterday, even though it didn't work out as a five, like you have some pace to cover. Hopefully Janapo just didn't know how to do it. And that's okay because he's young and he's not a left back. And we, we all, we've discussed this at length, I think, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if you just dropped Bestergaard, I didn't think he had a great game yesterday. Um, I thought he made a lot of mistakes, but once again, I don't know if it's fair to criticize him for, for having a guy who's, you know, running around all over the pitch and, and not in position and not where you expect your left back to be. Um, but, you know, I don't know. So I, I think I, I think the only thing you can do is just, I don't know, make Romeu stay in front of them and just break up play and have Romeu do all of the work and just try to keep it out of our defensive uh, area <laughs> as much as possible. That, that's so, the, so the way to tackle the defense is don't let them have the ball sure. under any circumstances. Yes. Right, okay, cool. And that, okay. that'll happen, I'm sure, because nobody is going to... Uh, hit us on the counterattack or anything else. Um, anyway, uh, let's let's move on. Um, so we have some other questions from Twitter, and some of them we've addressed already uh, from Saints World FC, which of course is one of the partners of the Total Saints podcast. Um, says, will Ryan Bertrand be able to regain a starting position at left back? We kind of talked about that earlier, and it seems I think we both agree that it's kind of a personnel issue, and and. It's not that Ralph doesn't know how to deal with with individuals because he's he's done well with some of the other guys that have come back from loan and, and things like that. So I I don't know how that's going to work out, but I and I'm not sure we can answer anything more than we've we've kind of stated. And unfortunately, it goes again for another question that's there um, from Jamie Prognell, um, who's at Jamie underscore Prognell uh, says Che Adams up front on his own with support from attacking midfield or uh, up front in a two alongside Danny Ings. And I think we talked about that as well, um, that, that we kind of said he looked a little bit more comfortable on his own. And overall, I think it's just going to take time. And I think the positions he got himself into, and, I, and you can tell me if, you, if, if I'm summing this up the wrong way, but uh, the positions he, he was getting himself into on his own, the, the, the kind of unselfish runs that he was making, 
uh, and the space that he made for two players like Janepo and, and Buffal to kind of run into and create, I think were I think worked out best for us. And I'm not sure if we can if you, if you want to add anything to that or if that's kind of where we stand on on those two. Yeah, no, that sounds pretty right to me. Yeah. Okay. All right. We have a, a couple more from some of the patrons that. Uh, serious or not, we'll, we'll, we'll give them a read here. It says, a uh, question for the pod in six months. This is, comes from Justin Woodward. Uh, in six months time, will Musa fall and take the foul? I, I don't know if this is, is this is in reference to him at the beginning of the game where he seemed to fall over a lot or at the end of the game when he scored his goal, when he stayed on his feet and, and did it. But um, do you think that maybe the Premier League will influence him to, to do one more than the other as time goes on? Yeah, I think it's not necessarily about his his kind of familiarity with the league, but more what he feels is going to get out, out of it as a player and from the situation he's in, which makes perfect sense to me. Um, so, yeah. I, I think if he stays on his feet yesterday and does, does what he does, and then the shot goes wide or he gets a tackled away shortly after that, but long enough that Lee Mason said, well, I play the advantage that's not coming back because there was an advantage there and you had a shot. I think then we would be, we would be critical. And I, my, the narrative for me would definitely be, all game you fell on the ground and now you decide to stay on your feet when, and, and so I think it's, I think the, the reactionary stuff from, from, from me and from probably everybody else would have been a little bit different had we, had he not put it in the corner. And I, and I, I think that's just normal for, for us to do and, and probably not healthy for us to do because the, the expectation of all of these guys is that they're going to be perfect and um, they're in, they're indeed not, but I, I hope he stays on his feet. Uh, and the other question that we have there, I won't out you for asking this, um, Mr. Patron, but uh, in six months' time, will Musa be looking for flats in Liverpool? Um, that has been all over my Twitter timeline. I don't know about you, um, yeah, but it's there. It is. I've got no time for it. It's, it's I've got no time for it. No. Um, I, I, to be honest, like even if he carried on at, at the kind of ridiculous rate he started, he's not getting a move to Liverpool in six months' time because he is <laughs> a. I feel like there'd be some kind of mob coming to St Mary's protesting that we've sold another player to Liverpool yeah. and B I just think he's he's inc- still incredibly raw um, he's still got a long way to go in his development and I think Liverpool are you know such a good side now and such a kind of tactically sophisticated side um, he doesn't quite that he, he, he's, he's not going to fit in yet I mean he, he has the, the, the raw materials to one day be kind of that kind of player that fits in at, you know, kind of quite well at Liverpool, given you know their their preference for for fast kind of breaks. But um, yeah, he's su- such a long way from the finished product, um, which is great for us because that means we've probably got a year or two of in, of enjoying kind of his development and and what he can do, um, which probably goes to links quite well with that other question we got on Twitter about Hasenhutl and how we can keep him. Yeah. Um, I think that's a similar thing. Uh, he probably. He, I'm not saying that he hasn't developed fully like Janeco has. He, he, you know, he's a he's a manager at his prime, but we probably get to enjoy him for a year or two um, before someone else kind of picks him out. And I think that will probably be a theme for this team if things go well. We'll be back to where we were a few years ago with kind of managing change, um, managing players going, um, teams going after our players, yeah, uh, and our managers and. As much as that was frustrating, that's a signal that things are going well um, and, and, and that people are impressing, whether that's on or off the pitch. Um, yeah. And that's something we will have to learn to embrace and kind of make, 
develop strategies for um, in terms of replacing people yeah. um, and doing it in a in a way that is better than we have over the last couple of seasons. But I will avoid ranting about that right now. Yeah, I'll just say that I think we can be frustrated by the fact that that happens, that the people come after our players, but it's even more frustrating to have the last couple of years where nobody wants our players. Um, yeah, that's absolutely. even worse. And, and so at least now we can enjoy them being good and going somewhere and then we'll deal with them going somewhere versus us being poor and not being able to ship people out. Um, I think that is worse. Uh, that, and that's personal preference, but hopefully uh, people, people understand that. Um, so I have, I have one more question and, and then we'll, we'll go because we are, we're, we've gone over and I don't care. I've, I've enjoyed this. So I hope, I hope you have too. Um, and I hope the listeners have, because that's kind of, that's important as well. Um, uh, one fantasy. I had an absolute nightmare, uh, this <laughs> week, uh, captain Sterling. Yep. Used two transfers I. to somehow get De Bruyne in, uh, oh. and have Zinchenko. And I also had Van Dyke in the team. Um, and so everybody just did had a, had a nightmare. Yep. Yeah, I don't think I really want to talk about it. It was really awful. Okay. In many ways, I even benched Campwell for that that goal for Norwich. Me too. So he, yeah, I, I had like you had a City defender, except I had Otamendi, which felt even worse because Ooh. he was diabolical. Um, but yeah, no, that that was a really bad season uh, week for FPL, and uh, let's not talk about it. I had a really good first week. It's been all downhill. From oh, there. it's just gone downhill. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's not something great. But anyway. Uh, we'll move on. Um, James Willis, who's at James Willis 86 says, I had a job interview once and the opening question was, you're having a dinner party with four famous people from history. Who are they? Here's my answer. He says, David Beckham, Tutankhamen, Matt Letizier, and Ricky Lambert. Um, if you were going to do this, it seems like he's gone three footballers and one person from history. Uh, I didn't read that when I replied to him earlier because it was uh, very early. I'll say. And then um, for you, if you were going to answer that, who would you, who would you go to sit down to dinner with and assume, of course, language and everything else is, is not an issue. Well, I was thinking about this and he's got three footballers. Now, footballers, I don't want to be, don't want to be mean, but they didn't strike me as necessarily the best dinner party people, you know, when you're kind of relying on conversation. Is that harsh? Maybe I haven't had conversations with enough professional footballers to know if that's harsh. Um, I've seen I'm interviews. just going kind of off interviews, yeah, and kind of like general conversation. Maybe maybe it's just a media thing, but maybe I mean I'm not convinced of that as a strategy for a dinner party. But well, I guess they would have a lot in common there. Early on in this show, I think Glastonbury. One of the guys had just gone to Glastonbury, and I said, you know, which which member of the team would you take to Glastonbury? He said Charlie Austin. I think that's a good like if you're going to go have one of those weekends. I think Charlie Austin is the guy you take. Um, yep. do I want him now? Like, no. Nope. Do I want Charlie Austin at a dinner party? No. Nope. Um, I, I think for me, I would have, there'd be a professional baseball player that I would take. I would take Craig Biggio, uh, cause he's my all time just favorite baseball player. No idea who that is. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Um, okay. he's, he's a, he's an undersized guy who played three positions, uh, and, and was an all-star and just worked really, really hard and did everything the team asked. Uh, for the team that I like. Oh love. yeah, I like players like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that's and that's also why I like Oriol Romeo. Um, and David Milner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I was gonna, so I wasn't going to bring that up. Here. I wasn't going to bring that up. Yeah. Between my so love for James Milner and Max Rushton, it's not. <laughs> this isn't turning out to be a great. This show is not going well. No. <laughs> um, I won't say Max Rushton because that he wouldn't make the list anyway. Um, okay. that's reassuring. I I think 
I, I would, if I was going to go footballer, I would take Nathan Redmond. I think from, I have questions for him based on kind of what what's happened in his life over the past couple of seasons since coming to Saints. And, and I would hopefully want to just be able to, to hear a little bit more about him because I think he keeps himself kind of uh, more guarded now uh, in terms of he's not, he's not as open on, online as he once was. And, and so I, I have questions about that. Um, and I'm, I don't know. I, I, I generally don't think about these, these things because I don't, uh, hypothetical things don't, I almost can, it sounds really harsh, but like, I just, I don't want to waste the time to think about them. Um, yeah, you're like me. I'm a, I'm a great pragmatist. Realist. Yeah, like it, don't really get into those kind of things. Yeah. Maybe um, I take the officer who just gave me a ticket. Uh, have asked, have some questions for him. Yeah. Um, maybe as to what happened when he left and what happened when he came back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, four. I think I told you four hundred and forty-seven dollars. I looked it up while we were recording. Uh, that's what I just paid for the, for a ticket. Uh, it's mo- not Mario Lamina speeds, but uh, apparently not that far away either. Um, Ooh, out. And I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know the other two. That that's those are, those are the two I would take, and that would be a really awkward conversation because those guys could not be more different from one another. Um, but uh, fair who, enough. Who, who do you have if you're if you're going? I was really tempted to go kind of like hyper controversial and go for like Adolf Hitler to try to like understand what the hell's going on. But I feel like, you know, that's probably not great for a dinner party. So I'll stay away from the controversial <laughs> figures. Um, I'm thinking like, I like the football thing because obviously I like talking about football. Um, but as I said earlier, I'm not sure how many professional footballers are that interesting to talk to. I mean, for some of them clearly are. Yeah. Some of them not so much. Um, I think kind of one of the, the kind of big influential managers on the game, like, I don't know, like Johan Cruyff or, okay. or Pep Guardiola, uh-huh. one of those kind of like tacticians or even Mourinho. I think he'd quite good, quite good dinner party fun. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I'd go kind of down that route if I was going down football. Um, but yeah, I think, I think have I think Barack Obama would be really interesting dinner party. Yeah. If you know, if he was able to be open about everything, I think he'd be quite an interesting one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I like you. I I don't tend to entertain these things in great detail, so I, I don't think I have a full four. But those are kind of branches I'd go down. Charismatic politicians and and interesting football minds. I feel. Yeah. So if we're doing that, I'd probably go Arsene Wenger. Um. For, yeah, like that. I yeah, I'd be interested to see what he had to say. And then yeah. if I was going to go like like U.S. president, um, God, I'd probably have to go FDR. Like that. Oh yeah. I think I think I think that's it. I think I figured out my four because that would be try to cover all the bases. I'm not sure what the conversation would be like, but I think there would be a lot of I'd learn a lot one way or another. And I this has got to be a full like seven course meal because otherwise. We're never yeah. getting through the questions I have and the conversation topics that I want to cover. Yeah, it's difficult how you'd make it a dinner party, not an interview. Isn't it really? But yeah, well, I'm not good at either one. Uh, my kids will tell you when I cook. It's it's chicken and rice, uh, a lot, a lot of broccoli. Uh, but anyway, I won't be coming to your dinner party then. That's, that's I'll, fine. I'll it's, it's all right. Um, Seems like quite a long way to go anyway for chicken and rice. Yeah, and you can probably get it better down the street. Honestly, I'm sure Birmingham <laughs> has, uh, has plenty of places to eat that are that are better than my house. Um, but you're always welcome if you, if you want, if you guys are out here. Oh, uh, uh, thanks. Thanks. I, 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 I mean that if there are, there are a few people who have you haven't really told it to me, but, but other than that, well, I, I do live in California. 
That is true. Yeah, I do. I have been what once, but twice before. Once, twice before. I, I'm a California fan. Okay. Yeah, it's not Prague, but plenty of microbreweries. Uh, you know, lots of coastline. Um, yeah, yeah. Sports. I, not not as good as is the Premier League, of course, but it's there. But um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for trying new sports. I just don't understand them. It's all good. Yeah, uh, when people start, tr- the, the best thing for me in terms of my interaction with my family is when everybody starts tweeting about cricket, and then I can just go like, okay, like I can be done now. Uh, yeah, it's a bit like me and baseball. I just have no idea what's going on. I imagine the same view in cricket. Sometimes I, I forget that I'm on the podcast account, not my personal account, and I just keep tweeting Astro stuff, and it's like just stop because they're great. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'll see. As long as, uh, they they may get back to the World Series this year, and I, I will be super excited if they do. But um, different show. Anyway. Uh, Lucy, as always, I've had uh, a great time just ch- chatting with you. And I think there was a lot to kind of unpack. And it was a pleasure to be able to talk to you about uh, a game you were able to 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 be there for. And um, at least we had kind of, there was a lot of interesting stuff that happened this week. And uh, I think this is, the next show will come out, um, ironically enough, the, the the day we play we play uh, the team down the road. So, um, you know, th- this is, I, I I'm not going to do a preview of that show, at least for, for everybody, maybe for the patrons, but, um, it'll be, uh, I don't know. I'm excited about that. I don't know how you feel about it, but, uh, I hope it all kind of goes well. And I hope you're, uh, I hope everything goes well with terms of house and, and total saints podcasts and, and all that other stuff. And, and just thank you for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It was been a pleasure as always. And I think we, uh, had some interesting conversation, although probably covered that we're, we're not the best for dinner parties. Yeah. Don't I'll serve the food. I do that quite frequently, uh, but I don't need to do, I don't, I'm not, probably not the best guest, um, dinner, house party, anything, probably just not me, but um, anyway, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. And that does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Lucy Heinet. Thanks again for taking the time to join me in addition to all of your other recording and reporting and just kind of life stuff, uh, I appreciate you making the time to come on the show again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm um, glad Saints got a win for you this year instead of uh, you know the typical 3-0 defeat to Newcastle away, uh, where you also have to go because your husband is a Newcastle fan. If you want to get in touch with Lucy, they can do that on Twitter at Lucy Heinet. Uh, if you want to get in touch with this show on Twitter or Instagram, we're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, ACAST, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can get links to all of those on the show website, SouthamptonDelivery.com, where you can also sign up for the newsletter, leave some feedback, uh, do whatever you want. Uh, there are a few select people who have decided to support this show monetarily. Uh, and I very much appreciate that. They do that via Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash SFC delivery. And uh, there you can support the show. You can choose. Uh, but you just listening has been has been great. So thank you so much for listening. Supporting the show monetarily is not something you are comfortable with, but you want to help uh, share the show, leave a review on iTunes. That stuff helps very, very much. And like I said before, you just listening is probably the most important thing and the thing I appreciate the most. The show is partnered with the Southampton page for all your Southampton FC news and deeds. Be sure to follow the Southampton page on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, lots of good stuff going out. We'll keep you up to date with everything going on. 
uh, throughout the week and leading up to match day and then during the match if you are unable to attend or watch the match on TV. The logo for the show is done by Matt Beeling. The music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games and the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, we'll talk with Matt Beeling, the guy who made the logo, as I said before. We'll talk about the match against Bournemouth and we'll look forward to the match against uh, the other team. So thanks for listening and until next time, remember that together, we march on. I have a, an unnatural kind of affection for Max Rushton. I don't know why. Um, I, I love him. Weird. I know a lot of yeah. people don't. That's, that is strange. What's that? That's a strange thing to, to like Max Rushton. That's, that's really? not cool. Yeah. Not cool? Okay. No. I'll cut it.